Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. So this week, we're, in, we're continuing with the story of Moses. And last week where we left off, Moses had come to Pharaoh and he had asked Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go to spend, to go three days into the desert and to worship God. And Pharaoh had said no. And not only did he say no, he increased the labors of the children of Israel such that they were, well, in far worse circumstances than they had started out. And last week's message, I believe, focused on the reality that God is with you, right? That God was, went with the children of Israel down into Egypt. He was with them in their affliction. He knew their sufferings personally, and he was arising to answer their call to bring them out from the burdens of Egypt. And there are so many elements taking place in the story where even as we, as we talked about last week, it left off in a bad spot where the burdens were increased. The, the people who were the shof team, the shof team are the kind of, uh, they were the leadership over the children of Israel. Okay, so Pharaoh had a multi-tier structure in his slavery enterprise, if you will, right? You had Pharaoh, and then you had um, Egyptian taskmasters, and then under them were Hebrew people who were put in charge of the other Hebrews. And so that was, that was the structure. And the, the, the people who were Hebrews who had a leadership role are the shof team. And once, the, once they were told they had to go gather their own straw, and still make the same number of bricks, and they were being afflicted for it, the Shof team actually went to Pharaoh to plead for him to, to change what he was doing, right? Because I, I guess the, the, whole, the whole thing is, if you think about the mindset of a people who are put into slavery, right? They're put into slavery by degree until the point that they are utterly enslaved. And they likely don't even recognize what the true intention of the, those who are putting them into slavery is. Right? So this is, this is how it was with Pharaoh and this is how it was with Hitler, where he would take them and put them into work camps and say, hey, you have an important role for the country. You're going to work and you're going to produce and so the people think, okay, well, we're doing meaningful work. But in reality, the whole goal is to kill all the people, right? Does that, does that make sense? Whereas if you were really running a business, you would say, you know what, I actually need to take care of my employees because they are doing important work and this whole deal is to make a profit. Pharaoh's goal was not to make a profit or even to build anything. I mean, it was really just, how do I kill the children of Israel? And then Hitler... Sure, he, he saw benefit in, in uh, his war machine, right? But then he also really didn't care if they were going to be the ones who would build his fortifications. Instead, his whole goal was to 
wipe them off the face of the earth. And so, you know, the shelf team go to Pharaoh and they say, why? What are you doing? What you're doing is you're, you're destroying the people. Thinking of this as, hey, the work is important. But Pharaoh's response was very much, no, it's not important. Now, he didn't tell them that. He just said, you're just lazy. Right. And so now he's further abusing the afflicted by now playing with their minds about what are they really like? Who are they really? Are they really just lazy? Or is this really an affliction? And so they say to Moses, why did you even come? You've only made things worse for us. And so let's read that in Exodus 5, verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So, so God's getting ready to move into phase two of the plan of redemption for the children of Israel. And last week when we left off, we made note that sometimes God will delay uh, judgment of the wicked in order to build up a greater judgment on the wicked. And then he'll also allow the righteous to undergo suffering such that they will ultimately get a greater deliverance, right? And that's really one of the things that we see taking place here as we see that the sins of, of Egypt compounding and building upon themselves as Pharaoh begins to increase the labors of the children of, of Israel. Now, when Hannah was reading earlier, she was reading from Exodus 7, right? And I want to go to that passage. Actually, which, oh, I'm sorry, wrong, I'm on the wrong page. Okay, so in Exodus 7, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you master or God over Pharaoh, Elohim. Okay, he's the word Elohim a judge, master, uh, likened unto a god over Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your spokesman. You shall speak everything that I shall command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh, that he should send the children of Israel from his land. But I shall harden Pharaoh's heart, and I shall multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not heed you, right? And I shall put my hand upon Egypt, and I shall take out my legions, my people, the children of Israel, from the land of Egypt with great judgments. Okay? And, oh, and I shall continue. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Now, within this, what's standing out to me is God is telling Moses, you shall speak everything that I shall command you. Right? God's going to place his words into Moses so that Moses can speak. He's going to give Moses the ability to do all that God has called him to do. 
and part of part of that I think for for Moses is a a recognizing and a need to recognize who he is you know when when Taylor was praying over the kids before they left she she talked about you know them to know who they are and as sons and daughters in the kingdom and really for Moses to even be able to go and do what he was going to do he had to know who he was in the kingdom and he had a bit of an identity crisis um, similarly Joseph had a bit of an identity crisis and and I'll, I'll talk first about Moses Moses's and then maybe go to, to Joseph's but here's Moses he's born a Hebrew but he's raised as an Egyptian lives a good portion of his life as an Egyptian and then is so even in that there's this tension of who am I am I am I a Hebrew or am I Egyptian and then he has to flee to Midian now he's estranged from his brothers whether he considers his brothers to be the Egyptians or the Hebrews right and now so then he goes and he has a child and he says he names the child Gershom right a stranger there so that's reflecting really this aspect of and being like well I'm, I'm a stranger I'm estranged from everything that is my family both my Egyptian family and my Hebrew family and so then God after 40 years in the wilderness calls him to go and be the deliverer of the children of Israel and he doesn't want to go right so he objects he makes multiple objections along the way and then finally he's just like Lord send someone else please he doesn't even give an excuse he's just like just please send someone else and you have to kind of wonder what is it really that's driving his lack of desire to go is it that he was rejected by his brothers when he um, <clears throat> when he tried to intercede he killed the Egyptian who was afflicting a Hebrew slave and then he tried to settle a dispute between two Hebrew slaves but he was rejected could be that it could also be that Pharaoh has died and a new Pharaoh has come up well who's this Pharaoh that's come up it's his brother so now he's gonna have to go against his Egyptian brother to free his Hebrew brother and what do you do and who are you right um, and and so even within regard to this um, as Moses heads out okay actually okay sorry guys we're going a little different route today <laughs> so he, he agrees to go why does he agree to go and I, and I think one of the keys is what God begins to reveal to him of who he is and he says Aaron your brother is coming out to meet you and so he's being he's getting this recollection of my brother Aaron my family my closest family is coming out to see me and he's going to greet me with joy that's what God told him and so that began to change his mindset of okay no actually I can go to my brother I can go and stand for them and so he sets out on the road and on the road God comes to kill him right we we didn't read all this last week but God sends an angel to kill Moses along the way and everybody kind of scratches their head and said what is going on 
Why is it that God is coming to strike Moses down when, well, he could have struck him down when he kept saying no, right? Like, okay, we're done. But instead, now he's saying yes, and God comes to oppose him along the way. Well, God comes to oppose him, and his wife realizes what the problem is, and she circumcises their youngest son. And so, and that becomes the reason why Moses isn't killed, is the circumcision of his son. So it's like, well, what, what, what did the circumcision do? Well, the circumcision was coming into alignment with his identity as a child of Israel, as one of Abraham's descendants. Because as he was going, without having circumcised his child, he still has some Egyptian identity tied to him, some identity other than being a child of Abraham. Right? And so now, through this circumcision, it's saying, no, I actually, I understand who I really am. I know I was raised with an Egyptian family, but that's not my true family. My true family is the children of Israel. And now I'm walking in that fully. And now as a brother, full brother, I'm equipped and ready to go and do what God has called, which is the deliverance of the children of Israel from the Egyptians. Okay. And there's, there's more to that story that we could talk about. We won't today. But um, that's, that's a key moment where he, he's coming into who am I? And even as we concluded the book of Genesis, I mentioned that Joseph had a bit of a potential identity issue where here he had been in Pharaoh's house for a number of years with Pharaoh being like a father unto him. And now he's got Jacob, his father, coming down. And Jacob says, hey, when I, after I die, I want you to bury me in the land of Canaan, which would be a big problem in the eyes of Egypt, that Jacob would be buried there, the father of Joseph. And so Joseph swears that he will do it. And so he is affirming to his father, Jacob, I know who I am. My real identity is not the Egyptian. My real identity is a child of Israel. Right. And so as we're, we're thinking of that, We come into this week's portion and Moses has to know who he is and that who he is is one who is a child of God and a true Hebrew. Right? And the part of being the child of God is, is trusting God even when what, he hasn't, when what he's experienced so far has been failure, that God is going to reveal himself as Hashem the one who will be faithful to his promises, who will fulfill his promises, and that he will enable Moses to speak the words that he needs to say, and he will, will place those words in his mouth. Now, of course, he'll speak them to Aaron, and Aaron will repeat them to Pharaoh, but still, God's giving Moses the words to say that then Aaron ultimately will speak. And this week's portion... As we, get, as we just read in Exodus 7, God had said that he's going to make Pharaoh's hard, heart hard. He's going to harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply his signs 
and wonders in the land of Egypt. And throughout the reading of the ten plagues, we see time and time again, the scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh hardened his heart, or Pharaoh was strengthened. Actually, most, most translations just always use the word hardened, um, but that's not what the Hebrew does. The Hebrew specifically uses two words. It's chazak and kaved. Chazak is strengthen, and kaved is heavy, great, or uh, uh, hard, if you will. And, and so last year we spent some, a lot of time talking about the aspect of the hardening versus strengthening of Pharaoh's heart. And we could go through that a little bit today, but I'm not sure if we will. But one of the things with this is it always brings up a great challenge to say, how is it that God can harden Pharaoh's heart so that he can multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt? And if he's hardening Pharaoh's heart, is he taking away Pharaoh's free will to let the children of Israel go? And it's definitely worth exploring and seeking to have understanding of what's taking place. What we taught last year, and I say what we taught last year, this, this is what we believe, is that he did not take away Pharaoh's free will, but instead enabled Pharaoh to go on the path that Pharaoh wanted to go. Pharaoh would have failed out of fatigue or fear had he been not strengthened by God to continue to pursue his ultimate goal. And so, and, and ultimately, if we look back to why did Pharaoh even want to kill the children of Israel in the first place. It's because he began to fear them. He began to fear the security of his kingdom and trying to say, how do I protect my world? And I see them as a threat. I'm going to wipe them out. Right? So he's acting out of fear <clears throat> that becomes then hatred and maniacal genocidal activity, right? So, if you get back to the root of what Pharaoh was doing, is he, was, he didn't know who he was. He didn't know that he too was created in God's image. Okay. I was going to say that the last verse portion where he said he did not know, Pharaoh did not know Joseph. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's no way in the world he couldn't have known of Joseph. Right. What he could have done is impossible. Right. But he chose right. to not remember what had happened because, like you said, Right. And your focus is on basically you mm -hmm. and, and it blinds you to what happened. Because how in the world, if we know the way records were kept, there's no way in the world he couldn't have actually known the great exploits and everything that, that Joseph had done for Egypt. Mm -hmm. How much he had truly helped them. Yeah. But he took his eyes off of that. Right, yeah. He absolutely did know of Joseph. He just didn't care about who Joseph was and instead said, well, we're going to create a new, a new path forward. We've got this abundance. We have all the wealth. Why do I need Joseph or his people? And now let me move forward in my kingdom according to my desires, right? And so, so he didn't know who he was, truthfully. And, um, but Moses did. Moses had come to understand who he was. Now, God hardened Pharaoh's heart 
which was strengthening him to be able to go about and do what he wanted to do. I think I will share um, a little bit on that, on the strengthening. Okay, actually, okay, uh, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to see where we go, okay? So, here, I'm going to put this up. Okay. So with this picture, it shows the 10 plagues. And what I've done is broken down what the plagues are, but also what action was taking place with regard to Pharaoh's heart at each step along the way. Okay, so you have multiple situations where the scripture says that Pharaoh's heart was strengthened, or Pharaoh's heart was strong. So let me, let me make a, a distinction here. When it's in this purple, and it says God strengthens, that was God's, the scripture says that God strengthened Pharaoh's heart. Other times when it's this blue or the red, it says Pharaoh strengthened his heart, or Pharaoh's heart was strong, or Pharaoh's heart was stubborn, or he made his heart stubborn. So you have Pharaoh taking action of being stubborn or strong in these first five events. And then you move into the second half where God begins to strengthen Pharaoh's heart at multiple times. And the strengthening that he does to Pharaoh's heart, again, gives Pharaoh the strength to continue going forward so that he wouldn't fail out of fear or fatigue. And then after the hail and fire, Pharaoh's heart was stubborn and strong, as were the hearts of his servants. Okay, so we have Chazak, which is strong, and Kaved which is stubborn, and that's kind of the breakdown of, of how, it, how it plays out. Now, so notice it was those two words, chazak and kaved, but in, in Exodus 7, where we read, where in verse 3, when he says, but I shall harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, God didn't use the same word of chazak or kaved. He used a different word, which was um, kasheh. Or Kasha. Okay. Kasha. What's that? This is Exodus 7 3. He uses. He uses. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do several slides here. Okay, so from Exodus 7 3, when he says, I will harden the heart, it says, Akshay et lev. Okay, the, the Aleph here is, I will. And then kashe is to harden. I will harden. And then this is, uh, this is where you don't really have to translate. But it essentially says that this is the heart. Okay. So he, God says, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh. Okay, now this is actually, I'm going to make a case for this being connected to the phrase here below, which is gather straw for bricks. Okay. So you've seen this, and now we're going to kind of break this down a little bit. Because this is important uh, with regard to how God was moving in the judgment he was going to bring on Pharaoh. Okay, so Pharaoh made the children of Israel's lives much more difficult by causing them to have to gather their own straw to create the bricks. 
and God said, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. What he's actually saying is, I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart a brick. Okay. And we're going to see how in just a moment. Okay. So here's the word for kashe, for difficult. Kashe is difficult. And then gather is kashash. Okay, so you see there's a little similarity here between the two words. Okay. And then you have lave, which is heart. And then you have bricks, where are levanim. Okay. So lave is found right there with the bricks. And so what happens is, if you put these connections together, then you have gather straw for bricks. I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Okay, so what's happening here is God says, you're going to increase the burden and the affliction on the children of Israel without cause. And because I'm a God of justice, measure for measure, I'm going to increase the affliction on you. And I will harden your heart such that you will be able to continue on and go forward in your pursuit of unrighteousness so that your judgment will be multiplied. It's a measure-for-measure measure aspect. Because Pharaoh did greater affliction on the children of Israel, he received greater affliction from God. Now again, this did not take away Pharaoh's free will. It allowed him to continue in his free will beyond what his flesh and his heart could have done on his own. So he said, if you want to pursue unrighteousness, I'll strengthen you to pursue unrighteousness. Just like in Romans where he says that he gives over people who pursue unrighteousness to their own depraved mind and the lust of their hearts, right? It's the same aspect where, yeah, things are being increased. But part of this, the answering of this, or, or God doing this, is in response really to the team who were crying out for mercy and saying, may God judge for what's taking place. And he says, okay, Moses, you don't see where this is going, but now you're going to see how I'm going to move, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to increase my signs and wonders upon him, and, and all of Egypt will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand and take the children of Israel from Egypt. Right. So the measure-for-measure measure aspect is an important part of the equation with what was going on with Pharaoh and how he had the ability to choose what was good, and that we too have the ability to choose what is good in our life. And I'm not going to talk much longer because we are going to have Jared come up and discuss uh, the upcoming month. But I did want to touch on what is predestination then if predestination is not the issue of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Right, if, if we're saying that Pharaoh still had free will, even though God was hardening his heart, then where does predestination really fit into everything? Um, because we know that predestination is spoken of in the scripture, and so what do we do with that? And what I would say is that predestination is not about eternal salvation. Rather, predestination is about being conformed to the image of Yeshua. Okay, that God's predetermined plan from the beginning was that his children, all the children that he creates, would be conformed to the image of his son. 
That's the predestined plan. Okay, so I'm going to read a few. Well, I don't really know. Um, okay, I guess I'll start with uh, a couple of verses here. And the reason why, like, key verses for the aspect of why predestination would not be about your eternal destiny has to do with God's desire and love for all of his creation. In Ezekiel 18, 23, he says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And in the verse 32, he says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. So his desire for all people, regardless of how much wickedness they've walked in, is that they should turn and live and not suffer destruction. And that turning to live is life in this world, but yes, it's life even more so for the world to come. And Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. His some count slow, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but they should all, but they all should reach repentance. Okay. Um, okay. Now, carrying that on a little bit, I'm just going to read one verse here from Exodus nine. God speaking to Pharaoh and saying, surely by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. However, I have let you stand for this reason, to show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the earth. Okay, so God's purpose was not to, not really for the sake of killing Pharaoh, but for making his name known so that others in the world could see and come to know who God is and turn from their wicked ways and live. Right. And, and this, of course, ties directly to Romans 9, 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Right. So even Pharaoh, while he was fully prepared for destruction, not created for destruction, that word, the Greek word used here is not created for destruction. It's made ready. It's like being made into a ready state. That he was not created for destruction, but he was prepared for destruction. He'd come to the point where he had totally justified, he was justified in being destroyed. <laughs> but God's saying, no, I haven't done it yet because I'm going to use your wickedness for my glory to make my name great. So he's endured with much patience this vessel of, of wrath that was ready for destruction so that his name could be made great. Now, okay, so that's just kind of a baseline for God's desire is that all would repent and come to, come to life, everlasting life. Um, so the idea that God would choose um, which one of his creation would be for uh, eternal destruction versus for eternal life uh, I consider it to be a profaning of the name of God and of his character. I don't find it to be consistent with scripture, um, nor his character that has been revealed, right? That he loves every one of his children that he created in his own image, right? And so he 
will pursue them and seek to give them life. Um, now, I, I said that what I really believe predestination about is being conformed to the image of Yeshua. And if we read in Romans 8, 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Right? That he would say, you are my family. You are my, my brothers. Yeshua would take people from all nations, every tribe and tongue, and bring them into his family. Okay, and then 1 Corinthians 2, 7, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So this, the secret and hidden wisdom of God, He decreed before the ages. He predestined this hidden wisdom and secret for our glory. And that hidden mystery was Messiah, that, that God was in Messiah, bringing a redemption of the world and reconciliation to Himself. Ephesians 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. He chose us in the Messiah before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoptions, adoption as sons through Messiah Yeshua in keeping with the good pleasure of His will. So with this, the Greek words used in Ephesians here to speak about the predestination are in the plural sense. They're not in, in the individual sense. These are broad statements of, of a group of people predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son and to be adopted as sons. Now, while we can look at it and say, yes, this can speak to each of us individually, it's not an individual picking out of who is predestined or called to be conformed to the image of His Son, but it's like the people are called to be conformed to the image of His Son and be adopted. And so, you know, within, you know, just talking about this aspect, I think this is an important part of us knowing who we are, right? Um, if we are predestined from before before her creation, to be conformed to the image of Son, and now God's Son has come and brought redemption for mankind and has called us into His family as brothers, how then can we walk? How then are we to walk? And we're not to walk in fear as Pharaoh did. We're not to be afraid of the schemes and wiles of these world powers or even people but instead are to walk in courage and in faith, knowing that God will strengthen us and equip us according to the need of the moment by the power of His Spirit, because we are His children. And when we can go forward with that knowledge, knowing that He is with us and has never left us, and that He will give us what we need by His Spirit, then we can have courage, and we cannot be those who bow in fear or act out of fear. And then even like Moses, go into what are seemingly impossible situations and see God open doors as He calls us forth into that. And so, all in all, there's an aspect of, of understanding 
that we have to come into alignment with. And it even goes back to the burning bush, right? When you see that Moses turned aside and he looked and he saw the bush and it did not burn. And God spoke from the fire and called him and said, I have known the afflictions of my people. I have heard their cries and I'm going to come and deliver them. God speaking out of the fire was actually a message of saying to what degree he was with the children of Israel and their affliction. The Torah uh, paints a picture that the bush is actually representative of the children of Israel in Egypt and that the fire represents the fire of their affliction. And that even though they were afflicted in Egypt, they weren't dying. I mean, there, there were people who were dying, right? They should have been destroyed by the affliction that was upon them, but yet God was sustaining them because he was with them. And he spoke not from alongside the fire. He didn't say, hey, Moses, look at this bush. See how it's not, burn or how it's not burning up, but it's on fire? No, he spoke from the fire and said, I have known their afflictions. I know where they are. I am with them. I've never left them, and I'm going to bring this deliverance. And you're going to be the one who goes forward to do it. And now, let's take that to a smaller degree. That was a great degree, right? We may not get to see a burning bush. We may not hear God speak from, from the midst of this fire, but he does speak to us in each of our hearts and says, I'm calling you to go and do some work, whatever that work may be, right? Whether it's reaching out to the homeless, whether it's uh, going to pray for the sick, whether it's whatever it is he may be calling you to do and saying, I know the affliction of those who are in need. I even know your difficulties. I know how you may even have identity crisis or you may feel like you're not qualified or equipped to do it. But I'm going to be with you as well. Even that's what we talked about last week with, with his name, Ehiye, Asher Ehiye, right? That I will be with you and I will be with the children in their affliction. Now I'm going to equip you to go and be a minister to bring forth a redemption. And as you go, remember who you are and whose image you're conformed to be. Amen. Let me say a quick prayer and then Jared's going to come forward. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the encouragement that you give us. Thank you, Lord, that you can transform circumstances and situations and even atmospheres as we spoke about earlier. I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us every step along the way, Lord, and help us to understand who we are in your Son, Yeshua, and to go forward with courage and boldness to speak forth your words as you give us utterance. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Amen. All right, today we are celebrating um, the month of Shabbat. Um, Shabbat uh, starts actually tomorrow night, uh, Sunday night on the 22nd. Um, Shabbat is the 11th month on the biblical calendar, and it is the fifth month on the civil calendar. Uh, so Shabbat, um, the original Akkadian name for this month is Shabbatu. Um, is that about yeah, it's distracting. Chris, no, it's okay. <laughs> so the original month is uh, it's Akkadian. So as we've talked about before, um, we didn't really have names of months. Uh, it was always like the first month, the second month, the third month. 
Um, and then out of once they came out of captivity from the Babylonian captivity, um, they uh, took a lot of those names and they kind of created it and made it their own. Um, so Shabbatu means uh, to strike in reference to the heavy rains of the season. Um, so Shabbat is spelt Shin Bet Tet, uh, Shabbat, uh, and it's found in Zechariah 1.7. So other meanings for this word are soft branch or rod or staff. Um, you can also change the last, I don't have the, the, cool, the cool letters up there that Chris does, um, but you could also change that tet to a tav, um, and that word becomes Shabbat. Uh, so kind of cool uh, play, on, play on words there um, for this month. Um, so the blessing for this month is a shift for new fruit. Um, some of the areas of healing that we'll be focused on this month is letting go of the unproductive areas you base your identity. Oh, wow, there we go, the word of identity. Um, what is being unproductive? Let's get rid of that. Let's find out what our true identity says that we can do. Um, some of the actions needing, seek wisdom and righteousness in your endeavors. And sometimes that just means to start something new. Uh, start something that God has been spurring in your heart to do. Uh, some of the, you know, with that, the spiritual warfare that we will see, and some of that is the fear of change, um, complacency, and the comfort zone. Um, some of the madot or the virtues or values and character development uh, is happiness or shalom. Um, the themes this month uh, are trees. We'll get into that in a second here. Uh, new growth, resurrection, living waters, fruit, the river of life, uh, and the holiday or the feast that we will celebrate this month is to Bishvat or to Bishvat or the new year for the trees. That's another new year. See, it's all about celebrations. I love this calendar. All right. So this is somewhat of a peculiar month because it falls directly in the middle of the winter season, but yet there's also signals of the first strings of spring kind of coming forth. So there's like this little glimmer of hope that it's going to start getting warmer, that the trees are going to start growing, the fruit's going to start growing. Um, of course, I, I like to joke here in Houston, it's never really got to that winter point. But in general, that's kind of the theme for this month. Um, some of the notable dates uh, in Shabbat, or Shabbat, see? See, Shabbat, Shabbat, it just kind of it just rolls. Um, is the New Year for Trees, which is on the 15th. Uh, so that this year is on Monday, the, uh, February the 6th. So this festival original was uh, originated from the fact that there had to be a division in the year for bringing in the tithes for fruit. So this is the season that the earliest blooming trees in the land of Israel began to bud. So because of that, the sages agreed that it would mark the official new year for fruit offerings. Um, there's also a lot of correlation to trees and mankind in the Torah. So like trees, we have a trunk, limbs, seeds, we grow roots, produce fruit, and we convert the light of God shining on us to produce more branches and fruit. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So it is tradition to eat the seven species of fruits native to the land of Israel on the new year of trees. So what is that? So this includes pomegranates, grapes, dates, figs, olives, wheat, and barley. So it is to be considered a mitzvah to be the first to bring these fruits to the holy temple in Jerusalem on the new year of trees. Um, Also in Shabbat, Uh, The Midrash explains that Moses spent this month uh, translating the entire Torah into the major 70 languages then spoken. His intention was to expand the boundary of holiness to include even the mundane world in the light of Torah wisdom. So plant a new tree, eat of its fruit, and I was, I was when I learned that about Moses, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Just thought about Harrison Ford and uh, the, the Lost Ark here. Maybe there should be a new movie about finding all those 70 scrolls. Um, so let's uh, let me say a prayer, and then I will uh, bring it back to Chris. So may it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, that you renew for us a good month in our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.